This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. Hello and welcome to the Financial Standard podcast. I'm Jamie Williamson, Managing Editor of Financial Standard. Today's episode is brought to you by MFS Investment Management. And once again, I'm joined by MFS Portfolio Manager, Michael Grossman. In the last episode, you would have heard us chatting about where and how winners can be found in the small and mid-cap universe. For the final installment in this series, today we're going to discuss the importance of active management when it comes to this particular asset class. Michael, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for having me. Michael, why is active management important in this asset class? I think in order to outperform and generate alpha in this market, you have to have some sort of differentiated view on a stock. Uh, and I think I mentioned this in the last podcast. And in small caps in particular, there's uh, an unusual number of opportunities. There's just more volatility in small cap relative to large cap. There's more dispersion, there's more sell-offs. And the reasons for those sell-offs uh, is in part due to the fact that these stocks are, are less well covered. It's due to the fact that there's less liquidity in these stocks. So when firms get in and out of these stocks, they can move them beyond where they should trade and creates more opportunities. So you need to have an active manager who can take advantage of those dislocations in the market in order to identify those opportunities that are going to generate alpha down the road. If you just owned passive and just owned that market, you're going to endure the swings of that volatility in your ownership of that passive investment vehicle, as opposed to on the active side, you can take advantage of those inefficiencies and that'll end up smoothing out some of those swings both up and down in the asset class. And so I think there's just an incredible amount of opportunity for active managers to roll up their sleeves and identify these mispricings in the market. It's the least efficient market in the world, the global SMID, in my opinion. Can you tell me a bit about your stock selection process in this asset class and maybe even provide some insights into your team's research process? Sure. So we don't typically rely too much on screens. Some analysts uh, and some of my co-PMs may use them simplistically to identify some companies to look at. But the reason that we don't really rely on screens is screens are backward looking and the market is a forward forecaster. Stocks change, um, stocks outlooks, companies' outlooks change. And so we're looking to identify companies that not only have an attractive valuation, but an attractive or at least a stable outlook. So we feel like we need to do our uh, discovery of new ideas bottoms up. And we rely on our global research platform. And that really, uh, in my opinion, is the secret sauce of MFS. We have 60 analysts ar- situated around the globe who are local to markets, understand all, the, in, all the, the players and competitors in those individual markets. And then we can bring those companies and those ideas up to a, a global level. And we do a lot of, uh, we have meetings once a week, sector meetings, and we can benchmark names back and forth on a global basis to generate the best relative uh, stock ideas in a sector. So you have the global research platform that's bringing these ideas to four. You also have the portfolio managers, uh, myself, my three colleagues. We're constantly out turning over stones MFS, we did ran a calculation the last couple of years uh, between the analysts and the portfolio managers, met with 2,500 companies over the course of the year, both years. And I don't think that's changed much over time. So we're constantly going out on the road, meeting with companies, or they're coming through MFS's offices, both the analysts, the portfolio managers. And I think in small cap, you really have to think of yourself as an analyst. I think it's just the mindset of the small cap 
investor is. And, and so that I still view myself as an analyst. I'm meeting with as many companies as I can, turning over as many rocks as I can to improve the oper- or improve the probability of finding that next best idea. It's what I enjoy most about my job, sitting down with management teams and asking them about their business and understanding you know, where they're investing capital and where those companies are going. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it gives me at least longevity uh, in what can be a very volatile space. Now, you've previously likened investing in small and mid caps to fishing in a vast ocean. There's about seven and a half thousand companies in the benchmark. How is your team structured to analyze all these names? So each of those 60 analysts that I spoke of that are on the research platform cover an industry in a geography. Actually, they cover multiple industries because we think that if the analysts have multiple industries, it just enhances their knowledge base. They don't get so narrow uh, in a certain subsector. They become better better investors by covering, they could be covering financials for half their day and the other half of the day, they could be covering energy stocks. And so we've got a lot of, of coverage um, you know, and, and just literally, uh, you know, man and woman power on the ground meeting with companies and turning over these stones. And so it really is a team effort and it's, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. So it's, it's work ethic. If you're not hungry, you don't enjoy this business. It, it's going to be a tough road, but we've got a lot of passionate people, uh, at MFS who are looking to identify, uh, the next best idea. And, you know, to take it back to the fishing analogy, to go to those far reaches, we've got, we've got boats in a lot of, in a lot of different reaches of different oceans, um, looking for those best ideas. I think it's something that's really hard to do in a small boutique shop. In fact, I came to MFS 18 years ago from a small boutique shop. And part of the reason was, uh, I recognized that companies were becoming more and more global and we didn't have resources on the ground. So if an issue came up with a supply chain in Asia, for example, I had to lean on sell-side research, external research to understand what was going on. Uh, now I can pick up the phone, call an analyst who covers semiconductors or whatever that supply chain, raw material in that supply chain in that region and say, hey, what's going on? Let's discuss what the risks are, what the opportunities are. And that's hugely advantageous. So to have that global reach, feet on the ground, that's what really makes it work. I want to talk a little bit about risk management now. Can you tell me a little bit about your process and also how you rebalance your portfolio exposures? So the risk management process is, there's the formal and the informal. The formal is twice a year, we sit down with our risk team and go through about a 50-page document with the risk team, very quant-driven, shows what your exposures are, both macro, stylistic, um, you know, what your standard deviations are and just how much, much risk you're taking with your, with your portfolio. And so it helps us identify where risk may be emerging, you know, as portfolio construction changes over time. So that's the formal part. The informal part is um, we're looking at what our sector exposures are all the time and what our geographic exposures are all, all the time. And we want stocks to drive performance. And historically, stocks have been the factor that has driven uh, almost all the performance in the, in the strategy. That being said, uh, we're not taking all the risk away. Um, so where we see opportunities, we do become overweight. We're not completely orthodox to having industrials be equal weight in the benchmark, as an example. Um, we're not completely orthodox to having emerging markets being equal weight. We're not going to own something we don't like just to get it to a neutral weighting. So we are willing, you know, to, to, to have some opinions on certain sectors and take some risk, but we try to keep it within reason. We don't want 
sector fact, you know, factors related to sectors or geography or styles to start driving the performance. We feel our expertise is in identifying attractive stocks, not attractive uh, industries per se or picking industries per se. So I think one thing I've learned over time is that sectors can stay in and out of favor longer than you ever think. And, and you know, we don't want that to be a driving force of performance. We really want it to be bottoms up, individual stocks. That's what our uh, investment team is good at in identifying those opportunities and getting them into the strategy. Just to close this out, I'm curious, what should investors look for in a fund manager when investing in small and mid caps? I think consistency and process is very important because there's certain factors that do drive the market during given periods of time. And it can cause a manager to respond and kind of just flail in the winds of, uh, of those factors. You know, so as an example, uh, when we had zero interest rate policy in 2021 and every growth stock went to the moon, uh, you had a lot of managers who went massively overweight those growth stocks and maybe they were chasing performance and, you know, halfway through the year realized I need to start buying software companies that trade at 20, 30, 40, 50 times revenues. Uh, we never did that. We stayed with long duration, um, you know, consistent growers over time uh, in our strategy and you go through periods of underperformance as a result. Uh, but if you stick to that process over time, you see the alpha generated. I don't think we'll ever... And we don't ever aspire to be in the first percentile relative to our peers. Usually those folks are in the first percentile one year and the 99th the other, just because they've got some big factor bet and may have been zero interest rate policy or when rates went up 200 basis points, at, which was unpre unprecedented in history in 2022. If you owned all financials, you were probably going to do pretty well. Financials aren't typically the types of businesses that we like to own and, and fit under the criteria when we talked about what kind of companies we like. And so we didn't own a lot of financials. So that, you know, we endured pain during that. But then earlier this year when we didn't own financials and the regional bank system in the U.S. was imploding, you know, we, we got that performance back. So, you know, sticking to your process and maintaining that kind of discipline, I think is extremely important rather than, you know, a manager who is going to, you know, do extraordinarily well because one factor is working or they start chasing a factor. I feel like they're always going to be chasing their tail because you never know when those factors are going to go in and out of favor. Well, Michael, thank you so much for sharing your insights and for all those tips just now as well. Today's episode was brought to you by MFS Investment Management. And if you missed any of the previous episodes from our series on investing in small and mid caps, be sure to check the links in our show notes. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 